Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ on this beautiful fall morning. It is good to be with you in worship together at Faith Community United Methodist Church. I would encourage you to fill out the attendance pads that are in the pews if you haven't already done so. Uh, Fill those out, pass them along to others seated with you so we have a record of your presence here with us in worship this morning. Greetings as well to those who are worshiping with us online. We are uh, thankful for you joining us and and we are holding you uh, with us in spirit as we worship together. You uh, have have noticed probably the signs on the doors saying that masks are recommended in the building. That uh, is was a discussion held at our most recent administrative board meeting, and they voted to recommend masks in the building, although they're not required. This is just uh, another uh, effort to continue to do the best we can to protect one another. Uh, Of course, I'm taking mine off. I'm up here on the chancel, but uh, trying to keep mine on when I'm out uh, around the building, uh, moving among all of you. But uh, be patient with me when I forget, and and feel free to remind me, uh, as we all do forget from time to time. The, uh, I want to say a, a special thank you to all of our volunteers yesterday for the Shoes for the Shoeless program. Thank you for your flexibility. Thank you for your service. We uh, had some last-minute change of plans, but you all responded wonderfully, and, and all of the kids were, were served uh, wonderfully. We had 60 children who received new shoes yesterday, so thank you to all of you who helped with that. We also had uh, a beautiful wedding yesterday, and congratulations to Simon and Lauren Cherston and to their families uh, on, on that marriage that we celebrated yesterday. So it's been a busy weekend here, here at the church. Uh, you have a, an insert in your bulletin, a prayer shawl insert, and this is, we, this is one of the ministries that we have here at this church is our prayer shawl ministry. And if you know of somebody that, that could benefit from receiving a prayer shawl, if they're going through a time uh, when, when it would be good for them to be reminded of, of being wrapped in, in God's love, uh, you can use this uh, request form to let us know uh, who could benefit from receiving one of those prayer shawls. I've been asked to uh, let you know that the United Methodist Women's Autumn Blessings Brunch has been canceled due to circumstances beyond our control, and we're uh, disappointed about that, but of course there are some things that, that we can't control, and, and this is one of them. So if you have the UMW uh, Fall Blessings Brunch on your calendar, uh, that has been canceled. But we are here this morning to offer ourselves to God in worship, and so uh, let us be in an attitude of worship as the choir presents the music of the introits. morning, if you would rise as you're able, please, and join with me in our call to worship printed in your bulletin. Come one and all to meet God here. Let all who are suffering find hope in this place. We have come that God might raise us up. Our only hope is the maker of heaven and earth. 
Come all who are weary and oppressed. God offers relief and enlists our mutual helpfulness. God hears our prayers and answers us. God equips us to be helpful to one another. Come together to sing songs of praise to God. Give thanks for God's wondrous deeds. God's glory abides in God's place of worship. God's presence and help are real. If you would remain standing, please, for our opening hymn, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, which is number 133 in your United Methodist hymnal. You. you may be seated. If you would now join with me in our opening prayer, printed in your bulletin. May all your people find favor with you this day, God of majesty and power. Turn our sorrow into gladness and our mourning into a holiday, a holy day, in which you praise you and find ways to help those less fortunate than ourselves. Lift us from our daily preoccupations that we may pray with earnest intent, both to thank you and to be changed by you. Let our prayers be powerful and effective. May our worship be alive and life-changing. May the service we extend find favor in your eyes. Blessed God. Amen. Now, if you would join in our prayer hymn, Nearer to the Heart of God, number 472 in your United Methodist Hymnal.
before the pastoral prayer this morning, I'd invite us to uh, bow and enter into a time of silence as you uh, present yourself to God and your, make your requests known to God in a time of silent prayer. Lord, we come this day to draw near to your heart, and we remember that promise of Scripture that whenever we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. You are already with us, Lord, and we thank you for carrying us along day by day, even when we thought we were going it alone, even when we didn't acknowledge your presence, Lord, you are there. Thank you for being our God. Lord, we lift up to you all of our loved ones who weigh heavy on our hearts because of struggles that they are facing. And we know, Lord, that you are powerful to deliver and that you are a loving and merciful God. And so we call upon that mercy now, Lord, that we may see it working in glorious, wondrous, miraculous ways in the lives of those that we have lifted to you on our hearts this morning. And Lord, we pray we would see the same for ourselves as we depend wholly upon you. Lord, we pray for you to continue to bless us as a church as we continue to reach out with your love to others. We thank you for all of those families that you brought here yesterday so that their children could receive new shoes. And thank you for all of the servants in this place who gave of their time and their efforts so that those children could be blessed. We pray, Lord, that each time they put on those shoes that they will remember your love, that you are a God of mercy and grace and provision. Lord, we pray for all of the other ministries of this church, that all of them might not be to our own glory, but to your glory, that anybody who is served by us would know that it is not us, but that it is you reaching out to them with your love. Continue to bless and to strengthen us, Lord, as we continue to bless you with our worship, for we offer you our worship, our prayers, and our lives in the name of Jesus Christ, whom you sent to be our Savior and our Lord. And so we offer to you now the words that he has taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite the ushers to come forward as we offer ourselves to God through the giving of our tithes and offerings.
please join me in the prayer of dedication. We dedicate ourselves and our offerings to the work of your church. For those who are sick, who are suffering, who are grieving, who are lost, who have words of hope and acts of caring. We stand with all who face discrimination, oppression, and confusion, seeking to work with them for justice and a meaningful existence. As you have accepted us, we reach out to include all your children in the family of mutuality, self-revelation, and growing in love. Amen. Please be seated. Today's scripture lesson is taken from James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. 
Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Amen. I have to think that James probably would not have received very high marks in a writing class, at least not when it comes to letter writing. Now, Paul, Paul was a master at the craft of letter writing. Paul always opened with a a greeting, stating who he was and who he was writing to, and, and something in there relating to the content of the letter. And then he would go into a section of Thanksgiving where he would butter up his audience a little bit, telling them what good things they were doing and how he was personally blessed by their faithfulness. And then he would get into the body of the letter, laying out the issues that needed to be addressed. And then after he had told them all that he needed to tell them, he would close with another flowery salutation, sending greetings from those who were with him to those who were with his audience. And he'd do a little name dropping and tell them to greet one another with a holy kiss. And then all of the proprieties having been attended to, he'd finally sign off. James skips right over all of the flourishes that make for a good letter. After a cursory greeting of one verse, he jumps right into the meat of the letter, critiquing his audience on one thing after another. No buttering up, no words about what they're doing right or encouragement about their faithfulness, just a whole list of problems, partiality, favoritism, a lack of good works, harsh words towards one another, disputes within the church, friendship with the world, boasting, judging. Today we get to the end of the letter, and he finally has some words of encouragement about patience and prayer, and then the letter just ends. No salutation, no signing off, no holy kiss, no see you later. He says what he has to say, and then he just stops writing. You should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The end. But he doesn't even say the end. That, the letter's just over. I don't think a writing instructor would be very happy with this example of a letter. But this letter from James isn't about meeting the requirements of some assignment. It's about communicating the essentials when it comes to living out our faith. That's what the entire letter is about, from the first verse to the last, living out the faith. All through the letter, James emphasizes the fact that it's not enough to believe the right things, you have to live according to that faith. Faith without works is dead. You have to put the essentials into practice. And the essentials that James is addressing need to be heard by every church everywhere. We saw in the greeting that this letter is written to Christians everywhere. So perhaps it's appropriate that James doesn't call out certain people for a greeting in the salutation because he wants it to be known that the directions he has given in this letter are not addressed to a specific context. 
Rather, this letter is for all Christians in all times. These instructions apply in every context of the church life. The last thing that James addresses in this letter is prayer. You might think he should have addressed prayer first, showing prayer to be of primary importance to the Christian. But I think there's a good reason he addresses prayer at the very end of the letter. I think he addresses it last without even a conclusion or salutation to follow it so that this will be the last thing that sticks in the mind of his hearers. Remember, most people in the first century knew the scriptures not by reading them with their eyes, but by hearing them with their ears. When Christians gathered in community together, they they would hear this letter from James read out loud to the assembly. And when they heard this letter read out loud in the assembly, the last thing they would hear, the thing that would continue to ring in their ears and to stick in their minds when the leader was done reading, was the importance of prayer in all circumstances. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Now let's not jump to the conclusion that praying will immediately bring an end to your suffering. James doesn't say that. He doesn't say, are any among you suffering? They should pray, and as as soon as they do, the suffering will be taken away. He doesn't make that promise. Not that we don't pray for that. Of of course we pray for that. Who, Who in their suffering wouldn't, in their prayers, ask God to take it away, to resolve whatever conflict or issue was causing the suffering so that the suffering would leave? But whether that happens or not, We are commanded to pray in our suffering. And as we do so, we are reminded that our Lord himself suffered greatly. He who prayed in the garden, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me, also prayed, yet not my will, but thine be done. Sometimes we get this idea that as long as I'm being a good Christian, things will go smoothly for me. I'll have a good life and not have to suffer. I mean, none of us would say that we actually believe that. None of us actually believe that. We all know better. In fact, we know that the Bible says almost the opposite, that being a good Christian will put us at odds with the world, that we will face persecutions and trials. We know that good Christians do suffer. But when that suffering comes to us, we still have that tendency to ask, why? Why has God turned against me? What have I done wrong? For what am I being punished? It's in those moments that we most need to pray to be reminded of the truth that even in suffering, we are united with our Lord who suffered on our behalf. To be reminded that suffering is not necessarily a judgment on us, but a judgment on the world. That suffering is not always a result of our sin or failure on our part. It's the result of a sinful and fallen world. Then again, sometimes it is our fault. Sometimes we do suffer for mistakes that we've made, for sins that we've committed. And the only way we're going to know God's word on that is through prayer. 
So it's okay to ask the question why, but that question must be asked, not in complaint, but in prayer. Sometimes God will reveal the answer, sometimes he won't. Sometimes God will show us what we can do to change. Sometimes there isn't anything we can change. But always, always when we are suffering and we come to God in prayer, always we are united with the one who suffers with us and for us and who gives us the strength to endure in faith. We are reminded of his great love for us, the promise he has for us. And we are given whatever grace we need to face the trials before us. We can't do that on our own. We can only do that in prayer. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. I've heard it said that one of the difficulties with being an atheist is that there's no one to give thanks to for the beauty and the joy of creation. We have this innate need within us to give praise, to offer thanks. Several years ago, I was driving home with my boys. I I think that Zach was about six years old and Nathan was about 11 years old. And as we drove home that evening, Zach, the six-year-old, said to me, unprompted, out of nowhere, he said, thanks for driving, Dad. Now, just to be clear, we were the only three people in the car. I was the only one old enough or licensed to drive. I'm not sure what other options we had at that point. I don't know what was going on in six-year-old Zach's head at that moment that made him say that, but... I believe it has something to do with this need that we have within us to be grateful, to say thanks. There is beauty and wonder all around us that is beyond our deserving. Life itself is a gift. How can we not give God our praise? I have to say it felt good to hear my six-year-old say thank you without being forced to, without being asked. I was just doing what I always do, doing what needed to be done without any second thought about it, and yet to have my child notice what I was doing and to appreciate it and to say thank you without being asked, that's pretty cool. I got to thinking about how much God does for us constantly for which we fail to say thank you. Thank you, for making the sun come up this morning, Dad. Thank you for putting breath in my lungs for another day, Dad. Thank you for giving me the strength to get out of bed this morning, Dad. Not that God's sitting around waiting for us to notice every little thing that he does for us each day. God's just doing what he always does, doing what needs to be done without any second thought. And yet I'd imagine that whenever his children notice what he's doing and appreciate it and say thank you without being asked, I have to believe that God enjoys that. Author Richard Foster in his book, Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home, writes, if we could only see the heart of the Father, we would be drawn into praise and thanksgiving more often. It is easy for us to think that God is so 
majestic and so highly exalted that our adoration makes no difference to him. To be sure, the self-sufficiency of God is a precious doctrine, but we should always remember the words of St. Augustine, God thirsts to be thirsted after. God thirsts to be thirsted after. Foster continues, Our God is not made of stone. His heart is the most sensitive and tender of all. No act goes unnoticed, no matter how insignificant or small. A cup of cold water is enough to put tears in the eyes of God. Like a proud mother who is thrilled to receive a wilted bouquet of dandelions from her child, so God celebrates our feeble expressions of gratitude. Like a proud mother who is thrilled to receive a wilted bouquet of dandelions from her child, so God celebrates our feeble expressions of gratitude. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Our songs of praise bring joy to the heart of God. Every time we say, thank you, Father, God smiles. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Notice what the focus is here for James. It's the same as the focus was for Jesus. He's not concerned nearly as much with physical healing as he is with salvation. That's not to say that physical healing is not important or that we shouldn't pray for it or even expect it. Our God is a God of miracles. Jesus is the great physician. But James does not promise a physical healing in every situation. Notice the words that he uses in verse 15. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. This connection between the prayer of faith for the sick and the forgiveness of sins puts me in mind of a story from the Gospels. In Mark 2, verses 2 through 12, a paralyzed man is brought to Jesus carried on a stretcher by four of his friends. Jesus was teaching inside of a house, and there was such a crowd there that, that the men could not get in the door with the stretcher, or they couldn't even get through a window. So, so they climbed up on the roof. They tore a hole in the roof, and they lowered the mat with the paralyzed man on it down right in front of Jesus. Mark doesn't tell us what the owner of the house thought about that. He does tell us what Jesus thought about it. Mark tells us that Jesus was impressed by their faith. Their faith. The friend's faith. Not the paralyzed man. We, we don't know anything about the paralyzed man's faith. But when Jesus saw their faith, he told the man, if you're waiting for me to say, take up your mat and walk, that's not what he said. At least not at first. The first thing Jesus said when he saw the friend's faith was, Son, your sins are forgiven. That is what mattered most to Jesus, the man's spiritual condition. It wasn't his paralysis that was keeping him from God. It was his sin that was keeping him from God. And so when Jesus saw their faith, he pronounced the man's sins forgiven. That is what the prayer of faith does. It puts us in communion with the Lamb of God who takes away sin. It opens up 
the door for forgiveness. As James puts it, the prayer of faith will save the sick. Salvation. And the Lord will raise them up. Resurrection. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Forgiveness. When Jesus pronounced the paralytic's sins forgiven, there were some scribes sitting there who were offended by that. They said that this was blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. There's this back and forth between Jesus and the scribes, and then Jesus says to the man, then he says to the man, take up your mat and go to your home. The physical healing in this case was simply the proof that Jesus had the power and authority to do all that he was doing. That if Jesus said the man's sins are forgiven, then the man's sins are forgiven. It's the forgiveness of the man's sins, not his ability to walk, which Jesus considered to be of greatest significance. After all, what good would it do for the man to recover his ability to walk but then remain trapped in his sins? Eventually he would die, just as we all will. And if he died in his sins, then the fact that he got to walk for a few more years before it happened, well, that would really be of no consequence compared to the eternity of torment that he would face. Sickness occurs in this world because this world is fallen and is awaiting the new creation. Death was brought into this world by sin. So sickness should be a reminder to us of our inescapable need for salvation. We pray over the sick, not just for physical healing. We pray for physical healing, yes, that's what we want, that's what we ask for, and sometimes miraculously that's what God gives us. And when that miracle occurs, it is always a sign pointing beyond the healings of this world to the one who is powerful to save for eternity. James goes on in the same vein in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. James continues emphasizing that connection between healing and forgiveness a healing and a forgiveness that happens on the level of community. It's not the individual confessing to God privately and then getting whatever you ask for for yourself. It's confessing to one another. It's being open and and vulnerable and trusting to one another. It's praying for one another. It's the forgiveness and reconciliation that happens within and among the community that unleashes the power of prayer to work within the church. James continues this theme right to the last verse of his letter. If any among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's really what it's all about. That is what the entire letter of James has been about, bringing sinners back from wandering, bringing one another to salvation. For this, we must pray. For the suffering, pray. For the joyful, pray. 
For the sick, pray. For the sinner, pray. For one another, in every condition of life, pray. This life is temporary. God's kingdom is eternal. The things of this world will pass away. The suffering that you face now is but as nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed at Christ's coming. The cheerfulness you experience in this life will pale in comparison to the bliss of being lifted into God's presence. The sickness that we know now will be healed forever. Sin will be no more. Pain will be no more. Evil will have no place in the eternal kingdom. Christ will be all in all. So what have we to do in this life that could be of any greater importance than to pray? And to pray again. And to pray even more. To thank God for our salvation. To plead on behalf of those who do not yet know the Lord. Pray to bring back the sinner from wandering. Pray for God's grace to cover a multitude of sins. Pray for God's kingdom to come and for his unending goodness to reign over all. Let us pray. Lord, we do cry out to you. We give you thanks, Lord, for all that you do so much of it going unnoticed. But every good gift in this world and in our lives is a gift from you, Lord. And we say thank you, Father. For all those who are suffering, for all those who are sick, we do pray. We pray for physical healing. We pray for whatever situations they are suffering But most of all, Lord, we pray for salvation. We pray for that eternal healing that comes only from you. Lord, may we know your grace. May all of our loved ones know your grace and turn ourselves over to you so that we may taste that glory that you have awaiting for us in your eternal kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. I invite you to stand as you are able for our closing hymn, which is Soldiers of Christ Arise. It's in the hymnals at number 513.
please be seated. And you, as you go from this place, may those words ring in your ears. Pray always. Pray and never faint. Pray without ceasing. Pray. For that is how the Lord works in our lives, through the prayers of his faithful. Go in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.